I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach you and educate. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We, folks, are in levitation mode, but most people are unaware of the levitation process. It's when certain stocks are anointed as winners and just go relentlessly higher because there's always some money manager who wants more of that stock than can be had, more than can be bought at these levels. So they endlessly pay, no doubt, Jackie Wilson-like higher and higher. You don't get into levitation mode unless the market's already morphing from being a bear market to a bull market. And lots of big institutions are caught leaning the wrong way. They may have way too much cash. They may be too short. They may be stuck in all those silly ETFs, making sure that they're short as much as they are long. Either way, they're being run over by a Caterpillar bulldozer or a Union Pacific train. All aboard! Just flattened a bunch of pennies on a track while I was going to higher levels. The, the bears are the pennies. And that's how you get a day like today where the Dow gained 383 points. Yes, we jumped 1.33%. And guess this. Get the NASDAQ pole vaulted 1.99%. You know, I do a wild, visceral, uncensored program called the Home Stretch. A little after two, every day with Jeff Marks, my CNBC Investing Club partner, where we take a no-prisoners attitude toward those who disagree with us. We take that tone because I don't think people understand just how drastically this market has changed in the last few months, and I'm trying to wake them up. Until late last fall, the market worked very differently. It worked something like this. Uh, it actually worked like yesterday in the afternoon. Someone somewhere in the, deep in the bowels of the European Central Bank made some comment about how interest rates need to go higher, and immediately everything rolls over. I mean, it was just incredible. 
as it happened, the short sellers went wild. They're betting against all sorts of stocks that are up huge. Others were ringing the register furiously all between 2.30 and 4, as if the bear was about to come and rip everybody's lungs out. The market slid right into the close, even as no one even really knew why they were selling. These sellers don't understand the new zeitgeist of this market. As I said on today's home stretch, this isn't just a story about the tape anymore. It's about how individual companies are doing. These are two radically different things. Yesterday's sellers were playing by the old bear market rules from last year. They think that every down day is a resumption of the sickening decline since the peak in late 2021. That's not unusual. That is how it works. That's textbook. They don't just have one foot in and one foot out. They have one foot out and there's a big toe in, but not the rest of the piggies. They're always waiting for the next 10% pullback. They're terrified every time the S&P 500 gets too close to the sun that is 4,200. They don't want to be involved with a market where some errant bear can come on air, say the rally is done, and suddenly we're headed back to the lows. They're playing from a place of fear, and that's rarely a good strategy. You must play from strength not fear. You have to recognize that the tape isn't calling the tune here anymore. The individual companies are, and that's a much more positive piece of music, even as we head into earnings season. Sure, sure, we can get some discouraging inflation data. We will. But that just means this market's going to take a breather and let you in, as it did this morning when some parts of the inflation number were good and some were just okay. So what do I actually mean by levitating? If you're taking your cue from the market's seemingly random day-to-day action, I think you're missing some of the greatest moves of our era. Levitation stock Uno, number one, Meta Platforms, which just passed NVIDIA today to become the best performing stock in the S&P 500 in 2023. Now, this is not last year's meta with willy-nilly Mark Zuckerberg wasting his time wearing some headset, bumping into things around his Hawaiian mansion. This is Zuckerberg getting religion on efficiency, firing people who aren't needed, and devoting his time to reels as TikTok killer, all while trying to get more people to post on Instagram and spending a couple hours in the extraneous projects that he's want to do. If you're a smart money manager here, you don't worry that meta's gotten too high or mock the ridiculousness of this whole move as I hear so many people doing. You say, quote, this darn thing is a horse, and I want to get on this horse because you know what? We may be riding secretariat. Younger people Google that. Then there's a levitation mover number two, NVIDIA. Now, if you judge this one by last year's standard, NVIDIA looks like the easiest short of all time. The stock's more than doubled since its lows last October, and if you think the bear's coming out of hibernation in a minute, this is the one you want to shorten May and go away. But if you bet NVIDIA if you bet against it here, if you short it here, let me give you a little heads up. You're taking your life in your hands. Don't forget to send me an invite to your funeral. Hey, try to have it in May. I got a lot of plans for June. I'll be jammed up. I loved NVIDIA for, for ages, which is why I renamed my rescue dog Everest after it. After he passed, I then started and getting right into the new one. Yeah, that's right. Since NVIDIA's gone, I'm now Ragu NVIDIA. I can sneak Ragu into this building. Do you know that? I can go right in and see Jensen Wong with this. I mean, I'm right in. I'm like in a headquarters HQ. Of course, in the old market, in last year's market, owning anything heart and soul was like searching for Buffalo Bill without infrared nightlights or maybe getting your face ripped off by Hannibal Lecter. I stuck with it, though, because when the stock rebounded from its lows, I didn't think you'd have time to get back in, and you don't. Sure enough, NVIDIA is now the definition of unstoppable. 
In this new market, you're studying news like news releases. One came out last night about the launch of the new high-end graphics card. Gamers can't afford not to buy it because it gives them more frames per second, which allows for smoother gameplay. All for just $599. You're going to crush anyone you play against. And keep in mind, even the best of these consumer graphics chips are really just mid-range price for NVIDIA. They're not the $10,000 cards you need to enable machine learning. The more $10,000 cards, by the way, the Murrier, that's M-E-R-R-E-R. I am conscious that I'm from Philadelphia and make it sound like Murray, like the person's name. And there are many others in the same situation. You want to fight Tesla? You want to take the other side of the trade that is GE? To me, that's the financial equivalent of jumping in front of a speeding locomotive. Well, how about taking on Apple after it's been through the mill and back, where it's about to open two stores in India, and you're going to see lines zigzagging around New Delhi and Mumbai with makeshift tent cities built as people try to ensure they can just get even get a glimpse of the iPhone 14. A glimpse! Yeah, that's a great short setup. Why don't I just short some Apple? <laughs> All right. Of course, tomorrow we're going to have earnings, and that's going to be a bummer, right? We've already been told that they're going to be down 5 to 7%. All right, so now who knows that? I, I study like 500 companies. My life is completely miserable. I have a terrible situation, but I do know it's not going to be down 5 to 7%. I don't think a bull could script this moment better because bull markets thrive on low expectations. I finally expect, I, you know what I think, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. The banks that we're going to hear from tomorrow, they will be pathetic parodies of the human mind. But even one of them, if one offers a coherent view of how it could be possibly make money and doesn't need to offer a caveat that the world's coming to an end, by noon Saturday, that bank stock will be embraced too. All day today, I heard about how some analysts talking about selling in some months, then going away in other months, or going to some place. I don't know. I mean, sell in May and, 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 I don't know, go to New Zealand. What is that about? I, I wanted to say to that analyst, have you, ever, have you ever really come out of a bear market tightening cycle where the Fed's done? Have you ever? I want to ask him, do you remember what it was like trying to get back into the market after that second week of October in 1998? But then I realized something. The strategists who are talking, they were probably in feet pajamas when I said that. Maybe they were hanging up their hoodie in their cubbyhole. Maybe they were getting in line for the water fountain, coming off, coming off a vicious game of dodgeball in the playground. Uh, that might be terrific training for something, but it sure ain't for this market. Bottom line. As one winner after another goes into levitation mode, you need to realize that this, this is what stocks look like when we're transitioning from the bear to the bull. Sure, most people are still incredibly negative, if not everybody. But that's why you have an opportunity here. The best time to get into a bull market is when everybody's still bearish. And I think we're pretty much right there. I need to go to Patrick in Virginia. Patrick. Hey, Kramer. How are you? I am good. How about you? I think it's like 98 degrees. I've got to put some suntan yeah. lotion on after I leave here. What's up? Yeah. So um, I got to ask you about Coca-Cola. So based on their recent financial performance, including its revenue growth, uh, profitability and dividend payments, as well as competitive position in the global beverage industry, um, should I buy, sell or hold in this current macro economic right, So let me ask you something. Listen to those off- First, listen to the offerings you gave me. First sell with James Quincy. I have no Quincy. I would not even put the word sell near his name. And then there's hold. Hold with a 3% yield and a good quarter coming. And then there's buy. And what can I say buy? Buy, buy, buy. Can we go to Omar in New York this time, please, Omar? Hey, Jim, good to be speaking with you. I hope all is well. 
I'm interested in bad, Omar. I, know, I had a piece of fish last night. Didn't didn't sit well in my stomach. Uh, I hope you feel anyway, better, man. I really do. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I was interested in stock ticker AI. It recently had a massive run-up with tons of interest from the Wall Street bets community, fueled by all the attention around Microsoft's chat GBT, burnt by Google. No doubt AI was a great momentum trade, but how do you feel about them remaining in the portfolio as a long-term well, and, you know, When I hear Wall Street bets, I often think about the great investors. Uh, Jay Gould, Jim Fisk. Yeah, real solid ones. Let me tell you something. That one, I didn't know the guy started the company. Why do you need that? I give you NVIDIA. You give me chat, CPAI, C3, C3PO. What are you giving me, Star Wars here? I'm giving you NVIDIA. The winners of this market are in levitation mode, and you could be missing out on some big gains like Secretariat. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, you want to know the hottest food stock in the market? Look no further, I'm not kidding, than potatoes. I'm checking in with CEO of Lamb Weston for more about the secret sauce behind the spud. Then we're continuing our series on investor negativity by looking at some additional underappreciated stocks that I think you home gamers should keep your eyes on. And how should investors navigate the home builders at a time like this? I'm talking to the CEO of Lennar to get a sense of where the market stands. So I suggest you stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
talk about this one. <laughs> With my wife going on, I say, I can't believe it was right in front of me. The greatest unsung bull market player of our time, the bull market in potato products. Look at Lamb Weston. It's the leading global supplier of all things frozen potato related, which has become one of the best stories in the packaged food space. Maybe the best. Yeah, now get this. This stock has rallied 120% from its lows in March of last year. Spuds! Now, you'd think that this was some kind of fast-growing tech stock, except Lamb Weston's been running circles around tech because it offers you an incredible combination of safety and growth. This is the rare recession-resistant company that is expanding like mad. Last week, we got a glimpse into what's driving the rally when Lamb Weston reported a magnificent set of quarters. Get this, 44-cent earnings beat off a 99-cent basis that's unheard of, fueled by 31% revenue growth. Potatoes? Manager also raised their full-year forecast substantially, which is why this stock just won't quit. So how the heck did it happen? How did we not know it? What were we missing? We know Lamb Weston sells primarily to the food service sector, meaning restaurants, so they're definitely benefiting from the life-is-too-short thesis. But there has to be more to it, doesn't there? Hey, stop the speculation. Let's go straight to the source with Tom Werner. He's the president and CEO of Lamb Weston. Learn more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Werner, welcome to Mad Money. Hello, Jim. How you doing? Thanks for having me. All right, Tom, I want you to tell me about the bull market and potatoes. Well, Jim, it's an exciting story. Um, Lamb Wesson, as, as you noted, we make frozen potato products, and we serve those products all over the globe. We have 26 factories. We're in 100-plus uh, countries, and we have over 9,000 employees. We're based here in Eagle, Idaho. It's an exciting time, and we've worked really hard over the past several years to um, return our profit and our business margins back to pre-pandemic levels. I'm excited about where this company is going. We're making some big investments around the globe to expand our capacity and be ready when the category, as it's growing now and continues to grow in the future. All right, so Tom, a lot of times people tell me we're going to spin off a group and that group will be laser focused. And I say, oh, laser this, laser that. Well, you got spun off of ConAgra. At one point last week, I think your market cap was bigger than ConAgra. So what happens, Tom Werner, when you leave ConAgra, which you are a faithful servant of, and take Lamb Weston on the road, and next thing we know, we got a company that's worth the price of the parent? Well, Jim, the exciting thing for me, being able to lead this company and being around it for 10 years, was I really understood the value that we could unlock being on our own and being laser-focused, as you mentioned. And so our management team has no distractions with a parent. Um, we are able to source all of our capital, invest in the business and the people, and grow our company. And that's actually coming through in spades in our performance. Now, you know. Or I should say coming through in spuds. I, I, but you know what? I got to use that. You, you stole that from me. But one of the things that I, I see, I mean, when I see um, op, beating revenue operating income estimates by 22 and 34 percent, when I see the growth, I expect you to be selling um, semiconductors to artificial intelligence uh, merchants here. How are you able to put up such extreme growth numbers? Jim, when you really peel it back, um, we have just, like I said earlier, returned our uh, margin structure back to pre-pandemic levels. And we worked really hard to do that. We've had a tremendous amount of inflation that has come through the business over the last two years, and we expect uh, you know, similar inflation going forward. But it's really about getting the base back to 
a normalized level that we were on track to deliver before the pandemic. And so I feel great about where the business is right now, how we've rebuilt uh, the, the base business. And we're, again, we're excited about the category uh, and the growth potential that we see going forward. All right, now everybody loves fries. I admit to an addiction to fries. I'm not alone. My wife, she can put down a couple of Baconators and then still finish the Wendy's fries. And what I'm wondering is, is there a love affair with fries that we didn't used to have? Jim, I think French fries are menued all over the globe, and I've never met anybody that I, when I tell them what I do, that I'm a CEO of a French fry company. And then 20 minutes later, uh, as I talk to them about the fries and which fry you like, People love fries, and it's an emotional connection. And the good news is, you know, there are developing markets where fries are starting to be on menu more, and that's going to provide additional growth opportunities for Lamb Weston. Is that why it was worth it to buy out the other half of Meyer, which I think is going to be a great story worldwide? Yeah, it, it's 100% on strategy, Jim. You know, that's something um, that we had our eye on for a number of years, and the timing just came up right to purchase the other half. And I'm excited about what we're going to do with that business now that we're truly have a global scale with the additional six factories that we added to our global manufacturing footprint. Now, is it possible that with these price increases, first, can they ever be rolled back? But second, that the consumer really doesn't see them because they're just not giant increases in price? You know, the, the, the great thing about the category and our product and French fries is again, we've priced through the market um, to recover our margins. And I feel good about where we're at, but there's uh, definitely, we have not seen an elasticity uh, with French fries right now on menu. And certainly there's some menu price increases, but overall the value of a French fry on menu is very profitable for our customers. Well, the one thing that uh, I know it's not big, but because we got a lot of washers, the revenue in the actual uh, retail is still pretty great, isn't it? Yeah, our retail business is about 15-ish percent of the company, predominantly based in North America. We've got a great strategy that we've been executing for the past five years. We have private label products we supply. We have what we call licensed brands, and then we have our Lexi branded products. So we really play in three different uh, parts of the category. And, you know, over time, when you put all that together, uh, we've actually grown our retail business quite substantially over the last five years. Well, you, my friend, are what capitalism is about. You took a, a brand that was good. You made it great. The people who were faithful to it and faithful to your work have made a ton of money. I want to congratulate you and your team, Tom Werner, President and CEO of Lamb Weston. Great job. Thanks, Jim. Good to talk to you. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up, tonight we ask, am I too negative? Kramer resumes his search for overlooked stocks next. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if 
you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Have the Bears gotten too complacent? You know, that's been my view. The averages have rallied hard for the let lows. Oh, man, just last fall. But that hasn't caused the pessimists to reconsider. They still think the economy's a train wreck in waiting, and the market will be its first casualty. They've been doubling down in their gloom. Sell, 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 sell. They live on the planet Saturnine. But like I've been telling you a week, sometimes you got to ask yourself, am I too negative? Earlier, I highlighted 10 Dow stocks that have come down versus where they were two years ago, even though the underlying financials have improved dramatically. Tonight, I want to do the same exercise, this time with five names from the S&P 500 that simply don't seem to be getting the credit they deserve. Not enough credit until right now. So pencils up. Let's go to work. First up. FedEx, which we spoke to just last week. The stock's now at $231. It's down from $290 two years ago. Of course, a big part of that's because CEO Raj Subramanian told a grim story last fall about a looming global recession. He's sitting right here. And I said, Raj, I mean, like, I was like, it can't be this bad. Well, it was. And that, coupled with the Fed's aggressive rate hikes, sent the stock tumbling from $250 last June down to $141 at its lows last September. What a buy point that was. Since then, though, FedEx has been on fire, rebounding like crazy. They've, they've delivered uh, two huge earnings beats in a row, thanks to management's be- uh, belt tightening, which they've done fantastically at. When we spoke to Supermanian last week, FedEx had just held an investor event where they laid out the details in their corporate restructuring that should give them $4 billion in permanent permanent cost reductions within the next two years and another $2 billion in savings over the following two years. This is a leaner, meaner, more profitable FedEx that's committed to efficiency. Plus, the stock's not exactly expensive. It sells for those 13 times forward uh, earnings estimates, and it might end up looking even cheaper if management can deliver on all those cost cuts. And I've gone over those cost cuts with Raj. Cuts with Raj. I think they are doable. I think they are happening right now. Meanwhile, Superman sounds a little more, little more constructive about the economy these days. Last week, he told us the so-called e-commerce reset that had hurt his volume so badly over the past year. It's coming to a close. It's running its course. The reopening of China should help, too. Sounds good to me. I wouldn't be surprised if FedEx can revisit its whole, its high, its highs once the Fed has stopped tightening. Next up, there's Estee Lauder the global cosmetics and skincare giant that we own for the Capital Trust. Here's a stock that's been essentially range-bound for the past two and a half years, as investors have waited patiently for the reopening of China, which accounts for 30% of Louder's sales and an even larger percent of its growth. That's finally happened. Though if we keep seeing signs that high-end luxury goods are once again selling like crazy in the People's Republic. I mean, I can't wait to hear how Lauder's are doing when they report in early May, especially when I heard that a company that's similar when it comes to clientele, LVMH, just blew away the numbers last night. Fantastic quarter. Third, when earnings season picks up steam later this month, we're going to be watching a company called ServiceNow, symbol N-O-W, one of the better-run cloud software plays Bill McDermott heads it. While this group has recovered 
nicely year to date. It obviously got killed in 2022, which is how this stock came down from $549 to $483 in the last two years. I am optimistic ServiceNow can deliver good numbers, though. These guys make software that helps businesses automate all sorts of processes, meaning they'll keep winning business in this new era of efficiency. Well, while ServiceNow sales growth did slow from the 30% range a couple years ago to the low 20s now, I think that deceleration is already baked into the stock. More important, this is one of the rare cloud plays that's actually been profitable for years. I'm betting ServiceNow will keep turning in strong numbers while telling a great story of back office automation, which they do so well, and cost savings for its customers. I sure wouldn't bet against ServiceNow here, especially if the Federal Reserve stops tightening, creating a more benign environment for growth tech stocks. Now, fourth year, uh, and, and this is a bold one, I'm stepping out on a limb, Stanley Black & Decker. The toolmaker seen its stock plunge from $202 to $79 in the last two years. Now, this is a name where the sentiment's as negative as it gets. Just yesterday morning, Deutsche Bank slashed the price target from $99 to $83, saying the setup for the industry is undeniably challenging and wringing their hands about the macro backdrop. I think that's how it's done. So why stick out uh, my neck out on this one? I mean, isn't it just going to be like Marie Antoinette or something? Listen to me. Stanley Black & Decker is an iconic company with real sales and real earnings. Its stock has come down more than 60% in two years. 60%! At some point, let's just say the downside is indeed baked in. I think we reached that point last October when the stock bottom is $70. While it hasn't run up much since then, I've got to tell you, I think it's a solid floor. And this one is... When there's limited downside, you have to wonder what things could go right. If Stanley Blacker can show even a modest stabilization of its business, let alone recovery, and retailers can stop the pilferage of these great products. Sure, they've got a lot of exposure to new housing construction, but housing is holding up much better than expected, I did much to the Federal Reserve chagrin, frankly. Plus, these guys also have non-residential construction exposure, so they'll get a major boost once all the government infrastructure spending kicks in, too. At this point, Wall Street only expects Stanley Black & Decker to deliver 94 cents of earnings per share this year. That is down from $4.62 last year and more than 10 bucks in 2021. Like so many other makers of hard goods, they got jammed up as the pandemic ended. Consumer spending habits shifted towards services, leaving retailers with way too much tool inventory. But eventually, all gluts come to an end. And if Stanley Black & Decker can beat that low-ball earnings number, I say the stock is headed much higher. Listen, I think you got a brief window to get into this one at these ridiculously low levels because these same analysts expect the company to make $5 per share next year. That is a 500% earnings growth improvement, for heaven's sake. And money managers will start to really care about that number once we reach the summer. Finally, let me give you a special situation. You know it. I used to talk about it all the time. I stopped for a while here. It's called DuPont. That's especially chemical kingpin with a stock that's edged down from 76 to 71 and changed in the last two years, even though it's a much better company. Most of that was recent, too. The stock was at 78 in early February before Wall Street got worried that inflation won't go down and the Fed might have to lay waste to the economy. I call DuPont a special situation because in late 2021, they announced a $5 billion acquisition of Rogers Corporation, another specialty materials play with tons of electric vehicle exposure. But then DuPont couldn't get regulatory approval. And last November, they gave up on the deal. Immediately afterwards, management announced plans to spend, and get this, this is really something, 
$5 billion buying back their own stock while also retiring $2.5 billion in debt. That repurchase plan accounted to roughly a sixth of DuPont's market capitalization times now. That's six. Even better, the $3.25 billion of it came in the form of what's known as an accelerated buyback from November through mid-February. They retired about 8% of their shares outstanding. The great thing about huge buybacks is they boost the earnings per share by shrinking the number of shares, the denominator. I don't think that's baked in the estimates yet. I wouldn't be surprised if the numbers proved to be too low, maybe way too low. Plus, there's still almost $2 billion left in the buyback authorization, so they'll be right there buying it with you, believe me. Bottom line, after a great day for the averages, let's remember that lots of stocks remain surprisingly beaten down. And many of them can go potentially higher from here, if only because the expectations have gotten so ridiculously negative, just like the strategists who tell us to sell in April and May and June and July and August and come back in 2028. Thank you. How about we go to Sam in Maryland? Sam. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call and thank you for all your help. Thank you. Uh, My question is about Snowflake. I bought like 300 shares at 250, and now it is trading at like around 140 to 150. Do you think I should add to my position or just yes, hold I on do. To I it? think you should add. I think Frank Slim is real. By the way, he was on TV. He was just his uncharacteristically great. He was even better than usual. Frank Slootman is money. Okay, the stock got ahead of itself. Not Frank. Frank delivered on what he had to say, and I think you're in the right spot. I would buy more even after the quarter. All right, now, and thank you, Sam. It is time to step back and ask, am I too negative? Because there are plenty of stocks that are just simply not getting the credit they deserve in this market. Hey, much more may have money ahead, including my exclusive one of the stocks is not getting all that respect, and that's wrong. It's called Lennar. But the home builders holding in there, despite the Fed's efforts to tame inflation, I'm getting read on the state of the corner of this market with the company's top brass. Then, you know what? I got a little bone to pick with Amazon. And it ain't with my prime. I love it. And there's always a package for me when I get home. It, it, but I like to do it that way because I feel better. But my wife hates that. She likes them all in one, you know. Anyway, I'm going to reveal what I think of it. That's, that's not the subject of the, of the call. And anyway, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Why can't the Fed beat housing inflation? Jay Powell's been gunning for home builders for over a year now, relentlessly jacking up interest rates, maybe in order to make it more expensive to get a mortgage. So far, the industry's doing terrifically, though. Take Lennar, my favorite home builder, Miami-based giant, with a stock that surged from $70 at its October lows to just under $104 today. A month ago, Lennar reported a much better than expected quarter. Even though new orders were down 10% and their backlog was down nearly 30%, they still had 5% revenue growth. That's pretty amazing, but most incredible, 22% earnings growth year over year. The question is, can they keep up this performance? Here's what we got to do. We got to check in with the dean of the group, with Stuart Miller, Lenar's executive chairman, get a better read on the situation. Oh, Stu, good to see you again. Thanks for coming back on Mad Money. Good to see you, Jim. Okay, so Stuart, you've got to do this. You have to explain to people that if you raise interest rates, it does not mean that the housing industry has to get punched and is flat on the canvas. It doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah, look, I think you have to start with the backdrop. And the bra- the backdrop is that supply is short and demand has been growing. And with that as a backdrop, you understand that even as interest rates go up, 
there might be sticker shock. There, it might hit you right in the beginning, and it did with the industry. Uh, but over time, people need a place to live. If you go across the country, you talk to the mayors in this country, you talk to the governors, you're going to find that affordable housing, workforce housing, is a singular big issue in every municipality. If it's a big issue, why do you say it, and I get it from Horton, and I get it from Toll, that governments in this country have made it almost impossible for builders, unless they're of the highest quality like you, to do their job? Yeah, it's a conundrum, and we face it every day across the country. The, the fact is that there, uh, there is a lot of anti-development, a lot of anti-new traffic sentiment in many municipalities. A lot of people don't want more development in their backyard. But at the same time, population is growing. The economy has been generally doing well. And therefore, the demand for housing, in particular, workforce housing, uh, the firefighters, the police officers, the school teachers, the need for housing close to where people work continues to grow. It's a matter of population. It's a matter of growth within cities. Now, people don't seem to understand that you have a strategy for these markets, a strategy for interest rates that go up. It's a volume strategy that has defied many of the analysts who don't realize that you basically figured this out over multiple years, how to triumph in these areas of these times of turmoil. Well, if you start with the backdrop that supply is short and demand is growing, population is growing, and there's a need for housing. Our view was that as interest rates went up and affordability was tested, we needed to keep manufacturing homes because the country needs homes. And so the shock absorber was clearly our margin. We were willing to take less margin as prices came down, as incentives went up, and we were able to do that in order to meet the needs of the marketplace. We weren't going to exacerbate the housing shortage just because interest rates were going up. We were going to meet the market where the market was. And that's what we did. And then people tell me, well, hold, it's going to be like 2007, 2008. There are people with no credit, no doc. They're all going to come in and buy. Tell people what kind of buyer you have these days, because that's not what you have at all. Uh, look, you know, first of all, uh, you got to start with and understand that in 2000 and two, 2007 and eight, you were dealing with an overhang of mortgages that were given to almost anybody without a down payment, without proper underwriting. That has not been the case over the past 15 years. The mortgage market has been strong and secure. And additionally, second, you have to look at the interest rates that have fueled the mortgage market. Interest rates have been at historic lows. So everybody that's received a market not only has value, uh, not everybody that's re received a mortgage, um, not only has value in their home, but they have considerable value in their low interest mortgage. Uh, so you're not going to have the, uh, the inventory buildup that comes from people defaulting on mortgages that are um, that are uh, advantageously priced as mortgages and their homes are advantageously priced. And then on top of that, you do have that housing shortage. So you're, you're, you're just configured very differently at this time 
than you were back in 2007 and 8. And how are you doing now on costs? We know at one time labor really difficult. All the, the, the geez, supply chain for housing was terrible. Where are we in this, what I regard as being a vast conundrum of you wanting to put up a home but really couldn't? Well, there are two, there are two parts there. One is just cost. The other one is supply chain. Supply chain has been slowly uh, getting, uh, reverting back to normal. We've started to see cycle times. That is the time that it takes to build a home start to revert back to normalization. Uh, we had basically seen uh, cycle times grow from about five to six months to eight to nine months. Uh, and it's now, it's a little sticky, but it's reverting back. On the cost side, uh, given the pullback in the market and the pullback in volume, and there is a significant pullback in volume, um, given that pullback, we've been able to go back to our building partners and say, look, we took a shock to margin. You need to reconcile costs as an offset to that. As prices have come down, we have to keep the, the uh uh, the production going, and you have to play your part in that. So we've seen costs start to come down, both on the wage side and on the material side, and some of our building partners digging into their margin as well. All right, one last question. You have one of the strangest uh, pastiche of, of the hot markets. I mean, some of the ones are obvious. And then I live in New Jersey. I mean, what, what the heck? You've got markets that are strong that are supposed to be weak. Where are the real buyers? So look, you have you, you clearly have a East Coast West Coast differential. The West Coast of the United States is slower than the East Coast. The East Coast is stronger uh, all the way from South and Southeast Florida is really strong still and has maintained its strength. But all the way up the East Coast, you've seen relative strength relative to the rest of the market. Even through the middle of the country, it's remained relatively robust. Some of the markets in the West and in Texas that went up the most came down the hardest. Huh. And it's different in different regions. Well, well, I've got to tell you, I knew it. But some of these salesmen say, oh, Lenore, they won't know. They won't know what to do. I said, do you know how long they've been at this? Do you know how they're just going to ride right through this period? And you're only four points from your 52-week high. and so many all the way down. I want to thank Stuart Miller. He's the executive chairman. And I can tell you, if you want to understand housing, the beginning of this conference call is four pages of everything you ever needed to know about housing. He's the executive chairman of Lenar, and he is amazing. Stuart, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you, Jim. Good to be here. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round. Quiz. I want to start with, let's start with Richard in Missouri. Richard! Hey, Jim. Uh, I got a quick question. Uh, I currently okay. work at Home Depot, and they're an off-the-leasing stock at a 15% discount. Should I take them or just leave below? Look, I think Home Depot is great. They've got to figure out the pilfering situation. I think that having a lot of problems with people who are taking their stuff and putting it online, 
and it isn't their stuff, and it's really starting to hurt the profitability. Let's go to Mike in Louisiana. Mike! Hey, Jim, this is Mike from Shreveport, Louisiana. I love Jim, Shreveport. I'm in the many house times. of pain, and I need some help. I'm in uh, this company and this stock. Uh, it is, it's just tanking, tanking, tanking. I need some help. Please tell me what to do with Newell, N-W-L. I'm going to free you of Newell's. Matter of fact, I get Ollie's. I'm a member of Ollie's Army. And every week they seem to have a lot of Newell stuff on uh, uh, sale. So I'm going to say... I'm sorry, but once you be free of that chain, you might be able to come up with some better ideas. How about we go to Russ in Michigan? Russ! Booyah, Jim! Booyah, Russ! Hey, I'm a loyal fan who's been watching for over 10 years. And I'm a member yes. of the CNBC Investing Club. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I watch uh, each night, but I don't think anyone has ever called on this particular stock. I'm calling about a medical device company named Shockwave Medical. Uh, they have a device yeah. to treat heart disease, which I believe is the number one cause of death it, in the U.S. It's actually, it's a great device, and it's a great company. And I just wish it weren't so expensive, but you have a winner, and I don't want you to sell it. I want you to stay loyal. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer's a very satisfied Amazon customer. But why is the stock bound wanting? Keep it here. I'm not buying what Andy Jassy's selling. This morning, Andy Jassy, the redoubtable, implacable, indefatigable CEO of Amazon, came on Squawk Box and told Andrew Ross Sorkin about all the incredible things his company's doing. It was a joy to listen to, as always, because Jassy's a very smart guy, albeit a giant fan, who runs a tremendous institution. Everybody loves Amazon, the platform. But there's an issue here. While I am an uber-satisfied Amazon customer, we also own this stock from my travel trust, and I am a very unsatisfied Amazon shareholder. Before I get into the nitty-gritty of what that means, the big picture is simple. It's hard to be satisfied investor when you own a stock that's stinking up the joint. When asked about Amazon's underperformance, Jassy fell back on something that I'm actually finally really getting sick of hearing. He hit us with that Warren Buffett quote, in the short run, the market's a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine, whatever the heck that means. It's not very helpful. I know that. In November of 2021, which was a long time ago, Amazon was at 188. Now it's at 102. Is that a cherry pick? Okay, two years ago, the weighing machine said 170. Still way above today's closing price. Maybe you think those are voting machine numbers, rigged ones at that. How about three years ago? Is that weighing machine territory? Well, three years ago, Amazon stood at 108. Still six bucks above where it's currently trading. And by the way, there's no dividend to throw on the scale to help make up the difference. So let's cut out the Buffett stuff already. More important, if Amazon's such a great institution, why has the stock become such an awful performer? Simple, because it is blatantly inefficient. In 2019, before the pandemic, Amazon had just over 800,000 employees. In 2020, they bulked up to roughly 1.3 million which then grew to more than 1.6 million in 2021. By the end of last year, they had shrunk their headcount to 1,551,000. Yeah, 1.54 million people. That, that does, you have to admit, barely put a dent in the boat. 
Now, Amazon started a medical business on top of everything else, something that was highlighted at the top of the website for a couple of days. And it, it's not clear they can compete against Walgreens or CVS, which have, by the way, actual in-the-flesh pharmacists who could be genuinely helpful. They have some very quick food delivery. And they also have the lousy Thursday night NFL games, which, while better than last year, still are lower quality because the darn players are so tired for the previous Sunday. But that doesn't absolve Amazon from having too many people. you got to wonder how much of this is necessary. Over at Meta, Mark Zuckerberg fired nearly a quarter of his workforce, and there's been no degradation of Instagram or Reels or WhatsApp. I'd argue Facebook, Instagram, they got better. I think Meta will see explosive earnings growth as the revenues keep growing a little bit and their costs plummet. At Twitter, Elon Musk fired roughly 80% of his people, and while I wouldn't necessarily say it works better, it certainly still works. At Salesforce, Mark Bedioff laid off 10% of his previously indispensable Ohana workforce, announced that 20 billion dollar buyback in response to multiple activist firms who criticized his leadership. They said he had a great product, but he lacked discipline. So he gave them discipline, delivered one of the best quarters ever. Betty have embraced efficiency thanks to the pressure, not pressure from the voting machine or the weighing machine, but pressure from the shareholders who do deserve better. Every one of these tech firms thinks that they need everybody they can to make all the projects work. But now there's less money, fewer ads, more pressure, more competition, and way too many people. Yet, of all the major players, only Amazon doesn't seem that you have to start getting to do le- more with less. That's right. I mean, see, I, I know what Amazon's really doing. They're playing a giant Jenga game where if you pull out the wrong 50,000 workers, the whole edifice crumbles. They're wrong. Yes, they finally let some people go this year, but that's after doubling the size of the labor force during the pandemic. The pandemic's now over. They just don't need that many people. Of course, it took an activist cabal to force Benioff to trim the fat at Salesforce. Must go nuclear Twitter because he borrowed too much money. He didn't have any choice. But I wish Andy Jesse would take his cue from Mark Zuckerberg at Meta because Zuck got disciplined all on his own. If Jassy can do the same thing, Amazon will be a shareholder machine. And as a shareholder, that's the machine you want to see. Next stop, 150, if they simply do the right thing. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available.